Well, the way people uh, listen to music has changed drastically with the advent of the internet and streaming services. You may or may not be aware uh, of this. If you're a music lover, you probably are. But within most of our lifetimes, we have moved from buying vinyl records. Uh, some people still do. Uh, uh, we went from vinyl records uh, to eight tracks, then to cassette tapes, and then to compact discs. And then we were able to download music to our computers and other devices. And now we can stream, uh, stream using apps such as Spotify, and stream all the music we want. Well, when I was a teenager, cassette tapes were the thing. And your car would be full of uh, cassette tapes. And the great thing about cassette tapes, it was kind of a technological move forward because you could record your own tapes. Uh, you could make mixtapes of all your favorites, or you could make a mixtape for someone else and share it with them and play all your favorite tunes. They could hear all the tunes that you liked or maybe dedicated to them. And streaming services are an even greater advance because you can create playlists of all your favorite music uh, from practically everything in the world, and you can share that with anyone who's also using that app. So very handy. Well, why am I telling you this? Uh, you're probably wondering. Because Luke records for us here in the first two chapters of his gospel uh, three songs, three songs. And uh, you might say that this is Luke's mixtape or his playlist of favorite witnesses to the identity of Jesus. Because that's what these songs are about. They're all about Jesus, Mary, that we looked at last week, Zechariah and Simeon, break out into joyful song under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And Luke records those for us. They give praise to God for the coming of the Messiah. Rightfully so. So today we're going to look at this second song, Zechariah's song. It's called the Benedictus, uh, commonly, because it's, uh, that's the first word in the Latin rendition of this. Now, the occasion of this song was the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Back in verse 5, verses 5 through 25, we read about how the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah as he ministered as a priest in the temple. Gabriel tells him that his barren wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a very important son who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Zechariah has a hard time believing this because, you know, they're old and, and they uh, had trouble having uh, conceiving, obviously. And uh, he has trouble believing Gabriel, so he is rendered speechless until this event we're about to read of, this, this circumcision and naming of John. And then, all of a sudden, his tongue is loosened and he sings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's what the text says, Luke 1, 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. 
And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us. Well, before I get to the main points, let me note a couple of things uh, as we begin studying this section. Notice, first of all, Zechariah's subject matter. Obviously, it's a big deal to have your first child. Um, as, a, as the baby of the family, uh, I'm trying not to be offended by that statement, uh, but, you know, the, the first one is very important and is exciting. And all you firstborn children, say amen. Uh, and it's even more worth celebrating when you are advanced in years and your wife has been unable to have children. One would expect Zechariah to be singing about his own son. However... Zechariah sings about Jesus, the Messiah, currently residing in the womb of Mary. Yes, Zechariah does mention John uh, the Baptist in the second half of the song, but it speaks of John's relationship to Jesus as the one who will prepare the way for Jesus. It really is all about Jesus, and Zechariah is singing all about Jesus and the significance of Jesus. Now also notice the tenses of the verbs Zechariah uses in the song. Zechariah, it says, prophesied. He's speaking prophetically. And just as we uh, saw with Mary last week, uh, he uses the past tense to indicate what God will accomplish through the birth of Jesus. It's so secure and certain that he speaks as if all is already accomplished through Jesus, even though he hasn't actually been born yet. He's just a fetus, a baby in the womb of Mary. But it does show that once the Lord acts in the first place, everything else that comes as a result becomes inevitable. All of God's promises are sure. And so we can say we have been redeemed 
as Zechariah says, we have been saved, though there is more to come and the fullness to that salvation and that redemption that we're waiting on when the Lord returns. But there's good is done because Christ has come in the first place and done his great acts for us. And also notice that these are the words of a priest. Zechariah was a priest, a, a very righteous priest, who with his wife walked blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord, as it tells us in verse 6. Zechariah knew the scriptures, and his song here is laden with scripture references. One commentator thinks there are as many as 30 Old Testament references here. There are profound, deep theological truths here to be learned. But this is not some dry theological treatise. Don't be scared by that fact. This is a joyful celebration of the Lord God. Zechariah's theology results in doxology. And that's the way it should be. His beliefs result in praise and worship. And the same should be true of us as well. We shouldn't be afraid of theology. But when we learn these things, and, and it just shouldn't be head knowledge, but the head knowledge that we have, the understanding of the great truths of the Christian faith, should lead us to worship and praise and serve the Lord. And that's what we see here with Zechariah. Well, let's look at these truths that Zechariah notes here that stirs his soul and gets his tongue going and, and gives praise to God. And there's three things that we see here, uh, basically controlled by preposition. Uh, Zechariah is all about the salvation and redemption that, that the Lord is bringing through this child to be born. God saves his people, and he saves his people by something. He saves his people from something. And he saves his people to something. And I want to explore those three things here this morning. Now, first of all, uh, God saves his people by, verse 69, raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has visited and redeemed his people, verse 68. So we see three things here. Uh, visiting. God visits his people, God redeems his people, and God raises up a savior for his people. Now to say that God visited his people, the first one that we see there, it means more than he dropped in for a visit like we might do with family or friends. When I was growing up on Sunday, which was practically every Sunday of the year, uh, Sunday afternoons were spent going to either one or both of my grandparents' homes. And we basically just visited. We sat there and talked and the adults drank coffee and if we happened to be there with our cousins we got to go outside and play or play inside or, and it was fun. It was enjoyable. But, so we visited. That was a visit. But the word here it, it, it means more than just a visit. It, it means yes to be present but the, the implication here is there's concern mixed with it to be present to help, to be on hand to lend aid. That's what God is doing here. God has visited. He has come to earth for a purpose, not just to hang out, not just to chat with us and to drink coffee, but to actually come to our aid. He has visited us. 
That's a wonderful statement that Zechariah makes. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, but He came and dwelt among us to redeem His people and save them. So Zechariah is celebrating that fact in song. Not only does the Lord God visit us, but He is redeeming. He is redeeming. And that word means to set free, to liberate. He has literally here, it says, He has accomplished redemption. Think of a prisoner of war who is oppressed and bound in a dark cell. The Redeemer, or a Redeemer, is one who comes and pays the ransom and frees the prisoner from his bondage, brings them out of the darkness of their prison to the light of freedom and life. And that's what Zechariah is saying God has done. He has freed us. He has liberated us. He has paid the price so that we can be set free and brought out of the darkness, brought out of the bondage and the, the oppression that we're in and bring us into light and freedom. And then thirdly, he's raising up a Savior. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Now, the, that word horn referenced here is uh, not a, a musical instrument, but a uh, 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 the horn of like an animal, like a bull or an ox. That's where the strength is in an ox, in, in the horns. You know, you've heard uh, he's as strong as an ox. Well, the horn is a symbol of strength. So when he says he's raised up a, a horn of salvation, it, it means that he's, he's raised up a strong Savior or he has provided a, a mighty deliverance, a mighty salvation. And that word salvation means to rescue from, from danger and to restore to a former state of safety and well-being. So it's not just that I'm freed from danger, but I've returned to a better state, to the state that, that is one of safety and, and light and health. So the word group uh, implies more than just simply a rescue. And this is done through the house in the house of his servant David. The one who has come, who's visited us, who has come to our aid, the one who has come to free us from our bondage and, and, and imprisonment and to bring us into life and light, <clears throat> and the one who has come to save us from danger and restore us to a good state is a king. The king comes to save us from something. So God... And, and Zechariah is singing about the fact that God saves his people through a redeemer. Now, secondly, God saves his people from something. And if you look at verse uh, 71, uh, he's raised up this horn of salvation. He's visited us. He's redeemed us that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, it's one thing to know that God has raised up a, a Savior. Uh, but what we need to understand as well, and what will really drive our celebration, like Zechariah is enjoying, uh, will be an understanding that we are saved from something, that we need salvation from something. And we have many enemies. You may think, well, I live a pretty peaceful existence. I don't have any enemies, but the scriptures tell us that we have 
a number of very powerful enemies arrayed against us. First of all, there is the devil. The devil is described as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. His names, the various names that he has, mean the destroyer or the accuser and the tempter. The devil is, and his angels and the forces of evil that exist in this world are powerful and out for our destruction and wants to make us miserable and, and hates, especially the people of God, wants to prevent people from, from coming to the Savior. So he is a, a great foe. Martin Luther sang about him in A Mighty Fortress. You remember the words, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. But God's people have the right man on our side as Luther goes on to sing in that song. So we have this enemy, and we have the forces of evil that are there seeking to trip us up and to destroy us and to drag us down to hell with them. And because the devil came and tempted Adam and Eve, all of mankind now is in bondage to sin. So we have, the, as an enemy, our own flesh, our own sinful flesh, our desires. And who can master their own desires? We love the wrong things. We do the wrong things and we're driven by some internal desire that we can't control many times. So we contend with our own flesh. The Lord has come to free us from our bondage to sin that causes us to live by the flesh instead of by the Spirit. And then we also have haters in the world, people who hate the church and hate God's people, who are arrayed against Christians. We don't have it as bad as people in some other parts of the world, but Jesus said that we will face persecution if we're faithful to him. And we're just thankful that we don't have it as intensely as some others do. But there are people who hate us in the world. And one day when Christ returns, he is going to destroy all his and our enemies. And then finally, we have this enemy, death. You know, we see the illness all around us, and the longer you live, the, the more chance you have of, of losing people that you know and love. And just this week, I lost a classmate from high school. He was in the year behind me in a terrible car accident and uh, was killed and just reiterates to you the brevity of life. And, that, and, and of course, the older you get, the seemingly the faster your life is moving, the years grow shorter, and you realize that life is, is very brief. Death is inevitable, and our bodies are in bondage to decay. I had a couple of people tell me this week uh, that uh, the older you get, the, you know, the life has been long, but life gets more painful uh, the older you get. So we're in bondage to decay and, and we face death, but Christ has overcome that. Christ has given us a promise. 
We pray for Philip Seeley's healing, and yes, he will be healed. We want it to be while he's on this earth, but even if that doesn't happen, we know he will be made whole again and perfect in the new heavens and new earth. We all have that hope if we're trusting in Christ. Christ, by rising from the dead, has secured that from us. But if we're standing against those foes on our own, in our own strength, we will lose. I mean, who can, who can stand against the forces of evil in the world? Who, who, can, who can overcome his or her own flesh without Christ? Who can overcome the power of the hatred of others? And who can conquer death? None of us. We need a Savior. And I want you to come away with that, with that uh, thought that, yes, I, I need someone to come to my help and aid. I need someone to get me out of my bondage to sin. I need someone to rescue me from those who would hate me. I need, I need someone to give me eternal life. I need a Savior. Have you recognized that today? Zechariah does, and that, that fuels the joy of his song because, hey, when you have been rescued from certain death, certain destruction, uh, certain loss, and, and you have a reversal of fortune like Zechariah is seeing us have with the birth of Christ, yes, you sing and you rejoice. You're saved from something. But thirdly and finally, God saves his people to something. Look at verse 74. He's in a couple of words behind that. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You remember I told you salvation wasn't just being saved uh, saved from something, but saved to something. There's, you're, you're not just removed from the dangerous situation, you're put into a new situation, a, a situation of light and life and, and here it's service to the Lord. He's a king. And if a king rides into your rescue, then you're on his team now and he's the king and you're to serve him is part of the response that we have to this redemption is gratitude, the gratitude of service. And that's what Zechariah is saving, saying to us. Uh, when, when, when Christ comes and delivers us from the hand of our enemies, as he does, the whole point that he's, he's for, the whole reason that he's doing this is that we might belong to him, that we might serve him, that we might be part of his family. He is our father. We are the children, and we serve him, and we can do so without fear because if we are part of his family, if we are on his side, what can man do to me? What can the devil do to me? Yeah, he can, you know, he can molest me like he did uh, Job and cause all kinds of problems, but I am in the palm of his hand, and nothing, nothing can, can snatch me away from the Lord and my relationship with him, and I will be alive with him forever and ever. So I can serve him without fear, even though I might face persecution because the Lord is on my side. And I will arise victorious in the end. And we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness because of what Christ did on the cross. We can serve him and have our service to him 
be acceptable because we are washed and forgiven and cleansed by Christ's shed blood. We are declared righteous because of his perfect righteousness credited to our account. And this, this status we have because of what Christ has done by entering the world means that we can have this relationship of being his children, of being in his service all of our days. We'll never lose it. It's ours. Now that's something to sing about. That's something to, to rejoice in. And that's what, of course, Zechariah is doing. He's looking ahead to all of this, but we've seen what's happened as a result of Christ, uh, Christ's birth and, and his life in the world. How should we respond to this? Well, John the Baptist told us what to do. Well, Zechariah is telling us about the ministry of, that John's going to have there in the final few verses. Uh, you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Of course, John the Baptist preached and he told us, repent, prepare the way for the Lord, be ready for his coming, turn from sin and turn to him. And, and the prophet was sent and the, the son of God was sent because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of, of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. God wants the best for us. And, and he's provided that in sending a Savior so he could redeem a people for him, to belong to him, to serve him. Why do we want to go back to sin? Why do we give in to the, to the lusts of our flesh? Because we've forgotten that he has caused sunrise to visit us on, from on high. He's giving us light. He's guiding our feet in the way of peace. When we go against that, we're hurting ourselves. So it's a reminder of you to, to you today to be encouraged in the great gift that we have been given and the salvation provided through Christ. And maybe our hearts have grown cold and, and we've lost the joy of our salvation. I hope that you will remember how God has saved you and that to follow him, to trust in him, is to go into the way of peace and everlasting life. If you don't know that today, know that you need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the only Savior that God has sent into the world. So you too can sing along with Zechariah. We can all sing praise to God for his great gift to us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the most wonderful gift, the gift of salvation for sinners such as we are, without hope in the world, facing the tyranny of the devil, the lusts of our own flesh, our bondage to decay and the inevitable death that comes. Lord, you have freed us from all that in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray that all of us here today would embrace the Savior in faith. Deepen our faith, Lord. Help us to walk in service to you in holiness and righteousness before you all our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.